Good morning. I am glad to see you this morning. Um, I'm excited about this day. Um, you know, here, here we. I feel like our time is up. I feel like the opportunity is over. Um, if by this point we haven't done it, then maybe I have this feeling of it's not going to get done. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but I remember for me when my parents dropped me off at Arkansas State University. Um, I remember this because um, I just kind of when when I when they dropped me off the first semester, um, I had probably never been away from home as an now a young adult, um, and so uh, for this period of time, and so I just remember the anxiety they had. I, I can only imagine what was running through their minds as they were just thinking: Have we told him everything that he needs to know to get through this? Have we, you know, because that feeling of if we haven't got it into his head by now, I, I, we're too late. Because here's the day: we are here, we are at this moment, and so. They were probably thinking, have we prepared him for everything that he needs for to, to make it through these next few years? Um, I don't know if you've ever sent a child off for a long period of time, um, but I imagine those feelings, you had some of those same feelings that like, um, you know, uh, are we ready for this? Are they ready for this? Are they? How are they going to do as they're gone? So imagine dropping off, not a college student, but imagine for a moment if you were to drop off um, like a preschooler or someone in elementary school. Imagine what that might be like and the feelings you might have if you were dropping off that child for an extended period of time. Wow, I can't imagine the anxiety that you might have related to that. Um, but I do kind of imagine that that is what Paul, some of what Paul felt as he was writing this last letter uh, not last, this first letter to the Thessalonians. Some of that feeling of, here we are. Um, I was only with them three weeks, and so we've got a whole bunch of brand new baby Christ followers in this brand new baby church and pastoring this brand new baby church full of brand new baby Christ followers is also a brand new baby Christ follower who is now the pastor. And he has to be thinking, oh my goodness, I'm just not ready to let them go. And so he's writing this letter. And as he's writing this letter to this baby church filled with brand new followers of Jesus, um, I can only imagine those things that are going through his mind of, I'm not ready to let them go. I, I, I don't want to end this yet. I'm, I'm not ready to send them off. But he knows he knows that they are going to be persecuted and they are being persecuted right now. And Paul wants them to be absolutely as ready as they can be. So here we are today and we are going to be covering the last of this letter that was written. So we're going to be covering the closing of this letter to the Thessalonians. And it seems like as Paul is writing this, that he is reluctant to let them go. It's almost like a parent who is um, sending off that child, and he's just kind of reluctant to end the letter. It's almost as if he's dragging it out just a little bit. And if you've ever been in that situation with a parent, you know, here's some things. If you're going to be separated for a while for some reason at school or whatever, 
um, you hear things like this. Oh, before I go, uh, uh, wait just a minute, one more thing. <laughs> and you hear things like, oh, yes, before I forget. And, and then they're reminding you, please remember, don't forget this. And so it's this string of things that are saying, these are important. Uh, just before I go, I want to get through this list of things. And that's kind of the feel as we hit the end of this letter that Paul is writing. It's almost as if he doesn't want to end it. He, he's like, oh yeah, there's one more thing. All these things are coming to his mind and he's adding them to this letter. It's a lightning fast list of things that he's putting in there. It's one of those things that you usually only hear from a mom or from a parent when you are going to be away from them for a while. Oh yeah, one more thing. And don't forget this and don't forget that. All right, so that's the feel of this letter. Now, here we're picking it up with chapter five and we are in verse 12. And as this begins, it literally, a literal translation would say, we ask you, and then here's where it goes. It says, we ask you, dear brothers and sisters, honor. Um, some translations use the word acknowledge, honor, acknowledge those who are leaders in the Lord's work. Now, Paul is not correcting them. There was not a mistake that he was trying to correct. He was just simply edifying. Uh, he was just simply uh, 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 encouraging some acknowledgement there. Um, and so, and one of the reasons is the leadership inside this new baby church, just months old, somewhere around three months old, Filled with new baby followers of Jesus, the pastors were also new baby followers of Jesus. And so Paul is like, let me pause here. Don't forget to acknowledge these pastors. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Now, literally what he's preparing here is kind of a warning. He's saying, we need to not neglect this. So it's kind of a warning. He, in verse 13, he says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. So he's saying, hold them in high regard, not because of their position. Now, it, it never fails. In every town, there's always a pastor somewhere who wants people to hold him in high regard because of his position. He claims a positional authority. And Paul is saying, ha, 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 that, that's not what this is. You're not holding him in high regard because of his position, their position. There was more than one pastor in the church. Not because of their positions, but because of what they are actually doing. This is not positional authority. In fact, Cole and I, as pastors of the Church of Malvern and of Stuttgart Harvest Church, we hold no positional authority. If you hear of a pastor who is holding positional authority, you need to run the other direction. Paul is saying, this is because of what he is doing. These leaders, he's trying to describe, these leaders are working very hard and they themselves are trying to do what is right. Now, this is so important. I'm just gonna hit pause here for a moment and add a few things in as we go because these pastors, they did not hold positional authority. 
which means they couldn't just say, hey, listen, um, uh, you need to do what I'm doing. You need to pay attention to me. And you, if you, and I even heard a pastor in, in, uh, in, I'll just let you know, it was either Malvern or Stuttgart, a pastor say this, if you would just do what I say and quit arguing with me and quit questioning me, then your life would get better and it would be right. And if you hear a pastor saying that, you need to run the other direction because he has no authority over you. The only authority over you lies in two places, three places, obviously with God, and it lies with Scripture. And in this day, it also was with the apostles. There are no longer apostles today. Our authority as pastors we don't really have it. All we can do is point you to the authority of Scripture, and we're doing the same thing that was happening here. At the same time, we are pointing you to the authority of Paul, the apostle. It is not mine. You are not charged with following me. You know who did say that? Jesus. We're going to talk about that in October. You know who else said that? Paul said that. And he's an apostle. No one else should be saying, follow me. Yeah, so I'm going to stop there. If you hear someone saying that, run the other way. They have the wrong idea of what scriptural authority is because it's scriptural, it's not pastoral. And here we go. So Paul is saying, these leaders are working very hard to follow my instructions, Paul is saying. Not their instructions, not their interpretations. They're following the teaching, the leading, the direction of Paul, who was being led by God's Spirit. And all the signs that we can see are pointing toward these pastors of this church being new converts as well. So Paul is not writing to um, some professionals that he sent in. You know, today when we start churches, we start with people who are pretty seasoned. Um, as we started this church, um, this was not the first church I'd been a part of starting. So we kind of were professionals moving in to start a church. In this case, Paul was the professional. He started it, and three weeks later, he left. So far, you're still stuck with me. <laughs> so Paul is not writing to seasoned, seasoned professionals. And so when he says this phrase, um, show them great respect, here's what it does not mean. It does not mean, church, I want you to fawn over the leaders. I want you to elevate the leaders up on, the only reason this stage is two or three feet higher than the floor is so only so you can see, so I can see you and you can see me over the backs of these chairs. That's the only reason. It is not elevated because I'm important. It's elevated because scripture is important and we want to make sure you hear it. And I want to see you. I want to be able to see you and interact with you as we teach. Paul is not saying elevate these leaders to a high place over you. That's not what he's saying. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, show them 
respect. And this is the very same type of respect that the leaders are supposed to be showing the people. It's the very same type of respect with love that they show the people and the people, part of the church, show the leaders. It's a mutual respect with love. It is not leader worship. No, not at all. And he goes on. And so now here comes the, a, a, a kind of this warning, an admonition here, and live peaceably with each other. And here's why I think he had to mention this. Because these leaders were in charge of trying to make sure that the church as a whole was living what Paul had been teaching them. And at the same time, they were trying to do that themselves. They were trying to live what Paul was teaching. But the leaders were responsible and accountable for making sure they were encouraging the entire church to do this. And so Paul is saying, I really believe he's saying, listen, as these leaders admonish and encourage you to do what God's Spirit has told me to tell you that you need to do, as your leaders are holding you accountable, admonishing you, and encouraging you to do that, live peaceably with them. Because that's tough. That's a tough place to be. And Paul is getting ready to end this letter with a series of admonishments that he knows he's going to expect that pastor to uphold. And at the same time, please understand, Paul is not just talking to these pastors. He's addressing all of the church. He's saying, you are all supposed to do what I'm getting ready to say. It's everybody. And here comes this massive punch list of him saying, oh, before I go, and before I forget, oh, one more thing. Here's this big list. We're going to start right now. Verse 14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. We talked about this. This is the second time he's mentioned this in this letter, which means, and given the information that we know coming up in 2 Thessalonians, which we're not covering in this series, um, we know that there were people in the church who were doing this. And here's what he's talking about. It's not just being lazy. It's, it's uh, the evidence points to the fact that there were people inside the church who were capable, but who were not contributing to their household. They were able to contribute somehow to their household and the running of the household and the function of their household, but they weren't contributing. They were expecting other people, even not just within the household, but other people even within the church, they were expecting them to pick up and do things for them when they could participate. And Paul is saying, nope, that's not the way it works. He's saying, before I go, let me give you one more reminder. It is not okay for a Christ follower to dodge their responsibilities that they have inside of a household. We don't get to sit around and allow someone else just to take care of everything for us. 
It's almost as if he's saying, if you can stand and you can move, then you can handle your part of the load. You can handle your part of the household. You can handle your business. And he's saying, stop calling on the people around you to carry your load. And Paul is warning them. He's saying, this is expected. So that's the first thing of this rapid fire list that he ends with. Here's the second one. And encourage those who are timid. Now, this literally translates to this. Give courage to those who are discouraged. Give courage to the ones who are discouraged. Um, now, we don't know why they were discouraged. It could be because they were being persecuted. That's possible. It could be because they were waiting on Jesus to return. That may be, and it's like he hasn't come back yet, and maybe they were discouraged. We're not sure why, but for whatever reason, he says, don't look down on them. Don't, uh, don't dodge them and run the other way. <laughs> he said, stop and instill some courage into them. Encourage them. And we talk, He even talked about this in the beginning of this letter, and he told them to encourage each other. We're actually the middle of the letter. We talked about it last week. We're not sure why, but he said, give them courage. We don't know why they were discouraged. He goes on with this list. Take tender care of those who are weak. And we're not sure if he's talking about someone who is physically weak or if he's talking about someone who is spiritually weak. We don't know. But he said, if you are able, if you're strong, if you're able, then help care for that person. Give them loving care. Again, don't have disdain for that person. Don't look down on that person, but have loving care for that person. And he continues, and be patient with everyone. I find this significant because this means, Paul is saying, with that person who's lazy, be patient. With that person who's weak, be patient. With that person who is discouraged, be patient. With your leaders who are imperfect, be patient. Be patient with everyone. And here goes, the list keeps going. Oh, by the way, before I forget, here we are now in verse 15. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always do good to each other and to all people. Paul is saying, don't pay back wrong with a wrong. It's just wrong. Don't do it. He's saying God's going to take care of that. You don't have to take care of that. And so we ask ourselves, well, how often do I have to, or, or how, yeah, how often do I have to be good to other people? And Paul says, always, always do good. Okay, well, if it's always do good, then to whom do I have to be good? And Paul says, with the church and with everyone. So we have to be good with everyone, always. And contextually, Paul knows that this church is facing persecution, and the persecution, he sees no way out, that it's going to increase, which it does. 
So the persecution is going to get worse. And, and, and Paul knows that they are experiencing some of the very same things uh, of, from the Jesus haters that drove Paul out of Thessalonica. He knows what they're facing. And Paul is still facing persecution. He's still in the middle of it. And yet, knowing all of that, listen to what Paul says next in verse 16. Always be joyful. Now, we need to understand this. He's not talking about the experience of joy, meaning that feels really good. We all like that feeling, that joyful feeling. We often, unless we get too old, (laughs) have that on our birthday. There comes a point that it's no longer joyful, but we often feel joyful on special days like that. We feel joyful on a a wedding anniversary. We feel joyful on a date night. We feel joyful at the first day, well, maybe not the first day of school. We feel joyful as um, uh, when Christmas arrives. We feel joyful, uh, and we, uh, that experience, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying, be joyful. In other words, you may not experience joy, but you can project joyfulness. You can express joyfulness. You can be joyful. And that's what Paul, in fact, our theology, our doctrine, our understanding of joy, a lot of it comes from what Paul has written. And here Paul reminds us for the very first time, at least for him, in his first letter, he says, be joyful, project joy. No matter what persecution, Paul is saying, no matter what's going on around you, you can still come together as a church and you can extend, project, be joyful. That is a great, great word. And then he goes on. Here's this list. Oh, and before I go, verse 17 now, never stop praying. As God's children, and let me pause here. We don't think often of Paul as a prayer. You might. I don't. When I think of Paul, I think of Paul as someone who delivers a teaching, who delivers a truth. I don't often think of Paul as someone who prays, but when you look at his letters, Paul is praying all the time. And here Paul tells us, never stop praying. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote. Jacob's going to have it on the screen for you. The very act of prayer is a blessing. To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches of an inexhaustible storehouse. And then he kind of describes what happens while we pray. He goes on. Listen to what Charles said. Um, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Charles Spurgeon was a wise man. 
very wise man. So Paul continues this list. Not only are we to pray all the time, verse 18, oh yes, before I go, Paul says, and be thankful in all circumstances. So very much like he gives us a theology, an understanding of joy, he also gives us one of thanks. And notice, he does not say, be thankful for everything that happens to you. That's not what he's saying. We are usually not thankful when we get that test result back that we weren't expecting from the doctor. We're not thankful when we find ourselves in a situation where we say, that's just not fair. We're not thankful for that. But Paul says in the midst of that, we can still look to our Father and we can still look to Jesus and God's Spirit and we can be thankful in the midst of no matter what is going on around us. So he's encouraging these young Christ followers to live with thankful hearts, no matter what trouble they find themselves in. And then he says, for this, in other words, all of this that Paul has been talking about, all of this that Paul has been teaching, all of this that, he, that has now been written in this letter, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And he would say, I believe today, I can't say it on my authority. <laughs> we could look at Paul, and I think Paul would say this today to the Thessalonica church. And he would say this today where Cole is to Stuttgart Harvest Church. And, he, and I can say this based upon Paul's authority to the church in Malvern. Be joyful, be praying, be thankful. That is God's will for you. We can say that without a doubt. Now, this is huge. I believe that Paul understood these things that he's been teaching as a result of and also as evidence of God's spirit being present in their lives. And here's why that's important. Because if those things are missing in someone's life, then something, and that something being God's spirit, is also missing. He goes on now in verse 19 and says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And I, I find this interesting that Paul, in this very first letter to a church in this first century, is, is indicating that God's Spirit, just like God's Spirit was at work in the, in the uh, apostles' lives after Jesus rose again and went to, to be with the Father in heaven, and God's Spirit, he sent the Spirit and he was at work in their lives, and now he's acknowledging this same Spirit of God is at work in the lives of the people in the church. He's saying, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. He's saying, don't stop the Spirit from working inside the church. And at the same time, we're hearing Paul say, not everything goes. You can't just call it the Holy Spirit and say, oh, we can do that. Not everything goes. You can't do anything you want in the name of the Spirit. He gives us some, some kind of some ground rules there. Um, verse 20, he says, do not scoff at prophecies. Paul is saying, 
they're not the inspired word of God like scripture. He's saying, don't scoff at them though, because for some reason in this moment, it's kind of like an ad hoc uh, word that's been added, which that just simply means uh, a word for a very specific time is needed. And he's saying, when that happens, don't scoff at that. Because if these words are appropriate, if these words are giving direction and are encouragement to a persecuted church, Paul is saying, we've got to not scoff at that. Jacob's going to put this on the screen for you. These words that Paul is writing are about Holy Spirit-inspired words. But he's getting ready to tell us but these must be tested. These must be tested. Because again, he's reminding us, these aren't apostolic words. These are not words from an apostle, which means a word from an apostle is something that came directly from Jesus to the apostle, and the apostle shared it with the church. He's saying, no, 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 this is not apostolic. They are not apostles. This is not the same as scripture. These are coming out of human mouths, it's not directly a direct word from God. It's coming out of human mouths, and so we must test it. And he tells us that in verse 21, but test everything that is said. Now, I need to make a, a, a comment here. If he tells us to test it, then that means something about this word prophecy. Because a lot of times when we hear this word, we kind of go back to what we understand as what we would call Old Covenant, Old Testament prophecy. When God would give a specific word to an Old Testament prophet, and that prophet would then stand and project this information, give this information to the people. And sometimes it included very detailed information that they did not know, they had no idea about. And sometimes it, in, it included dates and times and seasons, and it was directly from God. So we need to understand what he's talking about here is not that. And the big reason is because it can't be tested. And we're going to explain that further in just a moment. So let me give you another warning. And we're going to kind of talk about it in just a moment. But let me give you another warning. If someone stands before you and declares over your life something specific, and it involves uh, your future and what God has for you and what God is going to do through you, I just want you to know that's not what Paul's talking about. I don't have a name for what they're doing, but it's not prophecy. Now, they might call it that, but according to Paul, that can't be it because it can't be tested. Be very careful about what people do in the name of the Holy Spirit and direct it towards your life. Very, very careful. Now let's move forward with this because uh, I'm, I'm not leaving that because we're going to talk about how we understand this. So what is the exact way that we are to test what people say? I am so glad you asked. We have no idea. 
<laughs> we, we don't really know. But let me tell you what we do know. When we look, we're not going there today because we're not teaching from this. When we look into the next letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonica people. So he just now says, you have to test everything. In his next letter, which only happened just in a matter of months, these letters were close together. His next letter that he writes, he is trying to clear up some misinterpretations. And he tells the people, listen, you need to hold fast, to hold firm to the traditions that you have been taught. In other words, the things that I taught you when I was with you face to face, Paul is saying, hold on to that. I'm an apostle that came directly from Jesus. Hold on to that. The things that I have written to you in letters, hold on to that. The gospel, Paul is saying, that I taught you face to face, hold on to that. And the teaching that is coming from other apostles and from other writers of New Testament scripture, like James, that letter was already circulating by the time Paul wrote, it happened before Paul wrote this. Hold on to that. And he's as, as if he's saying those letters that are coming from the other apostles, hold on to that, the traditions of what you are being taught and have been taught. And I believe there is where we find our test. Jacob's going to put this on the screen for us. Does what is said line up fully with Scripture? And there's our test. There's our test, especially for today. There's our test. And if someone is coming to you and they are predicting a future for you, that can never be tested. You can't test that. And I'll tell you why that's important because we're getting ready to cover. He says it next. You can't test that according to scripture because you can't go into scripture and neither can I and predict our futures and predict what God is going to do through you specifically as a follower of Jesus. And if someone is coming to you and doing that, you just have to question the source because it can't be tested. And according to Paul, you have to test it because it's coming from a human mouth. You have to test it. And here's what Paul says next. Hold on to what is good. So after it has been tested, then hold on to what is true. Hold on to what, what passes the test of, yeah, that, that lines up with Scripture. That can be, uh, that can, we, we can say, yes, Scripture has said that. God has said that. That lines up exactly, yes, that passed the test. And you can hold on to that. And then he says in verse 22, but stay away from every kind from every kind of evil. In other words, if something is not from the Spirit, if something does not pass the test, stay away from it. 
If it failed the testing, stay away from it. Don't pay it any attention. In fact, move past it. Don't just stand there, get away from it. If it is twisted, it didn't pass the scripture, get away from it. If it is sideways to what scripture says, get away from it and stay away from that. And remember, everything he's saying right here is connected to him giving advice to say this, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Now today, that's kind of a controversial topic. To say the word prophecy today, and sure, it's kind of controversial because there, there's a lot of reasons to believe that there may be no longer prophecies now that the new covenant has been completed and has been finished. There's a lot of reasons to believe that and that point in that direction. But we can have opinions on that matter and we can have our thoughts about the things that point to that or some people may say, no, no, that's not true. It's still happening today. But here's what I want to say. It is dangerous for us to develop an emphatic, an emphatic doctrine that says, no, no, never, when the Bible is not clear. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that there is no more prophecy today, but it is dangerous to be emphatic to say absolutely no, because it's a little difficult for us to say that God can't do something when he doesn't clearly say it throughout scripture. So here's what I will say. While we can't, and I will say, while we shouldn't emphatically say that, we can emphatically say this, whatever is spoken must always be tested against the revelation of God through the new covenant, always and everything. Perhaps, maybe this is too simple, but perhaps the main way that we stifle God's spirit has more to do with us neglecting and ignoring the new covenant writings and the messages found within than anything else maybe a lot less to do with anything related to prophecy and more to do with how we handle what he's already given us from God's spirit himself. At any rate, what we have next is Paul's final greeting, and this is where he wraps up this letter. Let's read through this. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. And then he says in verse 25, dear brothers and sisters, please pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. Now, don't get creeped out by that. <laughs> that was their common greeting of that culture. And here's what Paul is saying, I think. He's saying those relationships that you have inside the church, he's saying do not neglect those friendships inside the church. Keep those friendships 
alive. And now he kind of moves closer to the closing. Verse 27, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's what he wants. And with all of that, Paul has taken the Thessalonica church back to school, Jesus style, to lay this foundation in their, in their lives and to make sure that it's firm and solid. Now, what I'm getting ready to do, I'm going to run through very quickly. Jacob's going to help me. We're going to run through all of the, the core of the foundations that Paul taught in this first letter to the Thessalonian churches. So we're going to go all the way back to week number one very quickly, and we're going to put these on the screen. My encouragement to you, uh, and of course, this is just depending on your learning style and how you learn, but if this were me, I would be snapping a picture of each one of these next screens, because what we're going to ask you to do is this week, as this series comes to a close, this week we're going to ask you to go back over these foundations that Paul has laid, and we're going to ask you to think deeply about these and to compare your life to the foundation that Paul was trying to lay in the Thessalonica church and to see how, where are you in that process of your own foundation of following Jesus. And that's why I would encourage you to snap a picture just simply because you can go back and look at it later. That's the only reason. What I'm getting ready to, pr to put up here on the screen, these are not my thoughts. These are from the Apostle Paul, and we're just trying to summarize these at the end of this series, okay? That's all this is. So we're not trying to elevate anything I've said or anything Cole has said. This is all the foundation as best we can determine that out of this letter to these Christ followers who have followed Jesus for less than three weeks, Paul left, and then three months later, Paul sends them this letter. So here we are, week number one. He reminded us to live in such a way that we remember Jesus is coming again any day now. And when we live that way, you will make decisions. In other words, your interactions with other people will reflect that you are living in a way, living in a way that God nods in agreement. That's the first foundation that we talked about week number one. Then we continued in week number two. Scripture teaches that all sexual thoughts and behaviors only belong in a God-designed marriage. And everyone that is able, here's the second thing he taught. <laughs> I had to pause for just a moment because I can't pull these things together here. Oh, it may not be on the screen. Do I have? They are. Okay. Okay. Very good. I will put these on Facebook this week. Sorry. Sorry, folks. My bad. They were in there. But I may, maybe I opened the wrong script. I'm not sure. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, so I will put these on Facebook. So week number one, live in such a way that you remember Jesus is coming again and any day now and live in a, and when we live in that way, you will make decisions that 
you are living in a way that God nods in agreement. Week two, Scripture teaches that all sexual thoughts and behaviors belong only in a God-designed marriage. The second thing he taught in week two is foundational. Everyone that is able, get busy meeting your own needs so that you're not intruding on the lives of someone else. Week three, he said, expecting Jesus to return at any moment changes the way you live. And I just want to comment here. Every single chapter in this letter, Paul refers to Jesus coming again and anticipating that return. He says, expecting Jesus to return at any moment changes the way you live. So if you are spiritually drowsy, pull over and wake up before you hurt yourselves or others. Let me say this one again. This was what we talked about last week. Expecting Jesus to return at any moment changes the way you live. So if you're spiritually drowsy, pull over and wake up before you hurt yourself or others. And then here we are today. Today's was a doozy because today's was the, oh, before I forget, oh, before I leave. Here's today's. Always and every time, be patient, be caring, do good, be joyful, be praying, be thankful, following God's spirit, and test everything said against the new covenant scripture. That was quite the final list. Let me read that one more time. Always and every time, be patient, be caring, do good, be joyful, be praying, be thankful, following God's spirit, and test everything said against new covenant scripture. Stuttgart Harvest Church has been a church now for 13 years. The church in Malvern, we have been a church family now for two years. And Paul, with this letter, as an apostle, is taking us back to school, Jesus style. He's making sure that not only the Thessalonica church, but every church that was to follow, including the church in Malvern, he's making sure that every church has the foundation that they need in order to build their lives upon Jesus as they follow God's spirit. And so this morning, we have two specific next steps that we want to encourage you to take. First, we want to ask you to take these foundations. Again, I'll put those on Facebook today um, or as soon as possible on the Church of Malvern, and I'll do it again on Stuttgart Harvest Church. But take these foundations that Paul laid and then compare them to your life. And I have to do the same thing. Because as Paul was teaching this, he was instructing as well the pastors, and then he was instructing all the brothers and sisters in the church in these foundations. So I, I will do it as well. Compare these foundations to your life and then ask God, okay, God, what do you want to do about this? Where is it that you need me 
that you need to fill in some gaps using what Paul has taught? Where is it that you need to kind of um, put in some reinforcement in my foundation according to what Paul taught? So will you have that conversation with God? And here's the second thing. I'm encouraging you not to miss any week of the September and the October teachings. And if you're going to be out of town, then would you please, please don't miss it. Just go back and pick up the recording that's going to be on Facebook, or you can do the recording that's on SoundCloud. And just pick that up and listen to it. And here's why. Because what we're going to be talking about is the next things to, to, to begin that building upon that foundation that Paul just laid. September is going to be so important, so very important. We're going to be going to a teaching of Jesus, and we're going to be breaking it down into great, great detail, one small teaching, and we're going to break it down into great detail. And that's happening in September. And it has everything to do with you building your life upon this foundation. And then follow that with October. In October, we're going to be, we're going to be clearing up some confusion. If you're anything like me, as you have grown up and if you, if you have been in and out of church or in, maybe in church the whole time, I, I don't know, but you may have had this thought, well, I sure hope I'm going to be in heaven someday. I mean, that's what I want. That's my goal. And I hope that I make the cut. I hope I'm there. I, I hope I'm among them. We're going to give you what I believe to be the best answers possible for that. All five weeks in October. And here's why that's so important. Two reasons. One is I believe God wants you to know. That's one. That's a big reason. Second reason we're going to cover this. Because I believe as we look at the words of Jesus and the words of the New Covenant writers, there's a lot of people who hope so that are not going to be there. There's a lot of people who want to be there that are not going to be there. We're going to, as best we can, and I believe we're going to really, really clear that up in the month of October. Every single week is so important for you to understand. Where do you stand with God. And we're going to answer that in October. But in September, we're going to begin building upon this foundation that Paul has laid, and we're going to take the words of Jesus, and we're going to help you understand what he meant and what he didn't mean and what it means for the rest of your life. Oh, it's going to be good. All through September, and then right into October, two very, very big topics. So all that we have left today, we're going to worship together in song again before we close. And right now, I would just simply like to pray for you as one of your pastors. Would you join me? Let's talk to our Heavenly Father. God, I do pray.
I pray that we would take the foundation that your spirit gave to Paul. And from that foundation that we would begin to look and understand and and analyze our own lives to know if we have that foundation for us. And God, we know, we know it's not too late. These followers of yours were just weeks in and then months into their journey with you, Jesus. And so if we are lacking, if we have gaps, if we have places in our foundation that are weak, would you please use the words of your spirit through the apostle Paul? And would you help strengthen our own foundations? Because God, we want to build our lives upon you. We don't want to turn around in a year. And when things get tough, when our relationships are hurting, when when we are struggling, if our finances are tough, God, we don't want to turn around and see our lives begin to crumble because our foundation was weak. Somehow, God, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, we want to still be able to extend joy the way you told Paul it could happen. In the midst of no matter what's going on, no matter how the wheels are coming off life, we want to be able to look toward you, Jesus, and still be thankful But God, we need the foundation that will support that kind of joy and support that kind of thanksgiving. Will you help us analyze our lives with your spirit this week? In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. You um, are so patient with us as this foundation is being laid in our own lives that God You want that. You're not trying to jump us ahead to other things. You want that foundation solid and secure. And God, I pray that we would talk to you this week and analyze that in our lives. And God, that that would prepare us, that conversation with you would prepare us for what we're going to hear next week from you, the words of you, Jesus. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.